means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are doing chapter 4, number 12, Grimald Place, and this is going to be an interesting episode. We have another group episode where we have Jen and Julie. Hey guys. Hi everybody. The general chapter is we get introduced to the house itself. Uh, We get a reunion between Harry, Ron, and Hermione that has a very angsty, angry Harry. And we get some background on the Order of the Phoenix, and we find out that Harry does not read like at all. So, uh, now, okay, this is the part where it's going to get a little off the wall right at the beginning, because I made the mistake, and I know these two very, very well, but I made the mistake of making a Disney reference in my outline, and they took it and ran with it. So, that, I, I'll just say my piece, and then I'll let them have their thing. Um, the, when I was reading the description of the house, and they, she does a really good job of describing the house and what it's like, and background on me right now at this period in my life, I literally just got done traveling to Orlando. You could see the pictures and stuff like that on our Instagram and Twitter. So I just went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and Disney in Orlando, and I'm about to go... Uh, to Disneyland with Jen and with Elizabeth. So we're having that Disney experience as well. So I made the note that the house kind of reminds me of a mix between Haunted Mansion and Tower of Terror. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so like, fair point, but like also can we just note that it's like Haunted Mansion and Tower of Terror minus the happy magic. Nobody is singing a catchy tune. Rod Sterling is not coming out to lead us into the Twilight Zone. But thank you for the Disney reference and not realizing what you were walking into. Yeah. Well, I kind of knew what I was walking into because I do know you guys so well, but um, I, I wasn't prepared for the amount that you guys had specifically. This was this was absolutely the right time to make this comment. You, you could not have, you know, I know Elizabeth is into Disney. I know Anna likes Disney. Um... There, there are no two people who are more suited to answer this question than Julie and I, uh, because I feel like 50% of the things that we talk about on a regular basis, 50% might be underselling I was going to say, that's low-balling it. It's Disney. That's low on um, that. Yeah, that is me being conservative with 50% of things. Yes. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I really liked how JK was describing this house. Um, and all of the words that she used to describe it very strongly reminded me of Haunted Mansion. She starts by saying that there's this odd feeling of foreboding, um, which is something that is in the introduction to Haunted Mansion, where he opened, the ghost host opens by saying, uh, your cadaverous pallor betrays an aura of foreboding, uh, almost as though you sense a Strong spoilers for Disney and Disney yes. rides, by the way. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, they have, uh, she mentions that there are, like, the candlelights and things are flickering, which, again, opening intro to Haunted Mansion, wherever candlelights flicker, where the air is deathly still. I do know the Haunted Mansion script almost by heart, if you haven't figured <laughs> yes. that out. Haunted Mansion um, is Jen's, like, all-time favorite. Yep. Yeah. So, like, Dan literally, like, I don't know why you decided to put this reference in here. And no matter how I, good <laughs> of a reference it is, you know what? like, 
I don't know what possessed you to go, Julie and Jen are both going to be on this podcast. Let's talk about Haunted Mansion. I am I am a fully a fan of Haunted Mansion as well as a ride, except for one particular tombstone in the outside decorations, which we will not get into because that will get me fiery. But so many things. So I, I, I can completely understand that there are some things about this that are reminiscent of Tower of Terror. Tower of Terror takes place in this um, derelict uh, hotel and kind of from the 20s there are things that are covered uh, there's one thing that she mentions in this house that's both shared with haunted mansion and tower of terror which are cobwebs um, and cobwebs specifically on a chandelier that's something that's very prominent when you walk into the lobby for tower of terror but that's mm -hmm. also something that's prominent in haunted mansion some of the other things that they pointed out are a little bit more reminiscent of, of a house house and, and less of a hotel in the sense that they talk about um, peeling wallpaper. Haunted Mansion is known for its kind of de abstract demon wallpaper. Uh, this was absolutely perfect timing because I just picked up a cardigan from Julie on Saturday <laughs> that was the wallpaper uh, on that cardigan. He mentions a long gloomy hallway. They have an endless hallway when you get into the ride vehicle, the, the doom buggy when you're going through, there's this endless hallway. I started laughing at that point when they mentioned the endless hallway because I'm like, all that's missing is a candelabra. And then a paragraph later she mentions there's a candelabra. And I'm like, this is just absolutely uh, spot on with that. And obviously the, the hallway that has portraits and a uh, screaming woman in, in particular here, very reminiscent of they have a portrait corridor in the Haunted Mansion uh, that you do walk by, so. Well, and they also have a lot of those same elements in Tower of Terror as well. Mm -hmm. I feel like Haunted Mansion has a little bit more of the like campy horror, if you will. Yes. Um, whereas Tower of Terror has a lot more of the realistic ones. So I feel like if you combined Haunted Mansion, Tower of Terror, took out all the happiness and sunshine from it, there you go. I would say it's a mix. Yeah. I would say, personally, I don't think it would be like a 50-50 mix. I would say maybe like 80-20. Yeah, Haunted Mansion, Ooh, Tower 80, of Terror. 80-20. Yeah, I would say it's yeah. more Haunted Mansion, but like if you took, if you made Haunted Mansion more realistic, you'd get the vibes of Tower of Terror. Yeah. So. The Disney Harry Potter cross analysis that no one asked for. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> this has been This has been Disney Talk with Hogwarts yeah. a podcast. I'm also very much looking forward to Elizabeth's take on this because Elizabeth also loves Haunted Mansion and And we'll get Anna's thoughts on it too. There you as, go. And you know, we'll just make this We'll make a it a follow up episode. Disney Harry Potter yeah. podcast coming soon. <laughs> Moving on from the Disney of it all. So after the very descriptive comments on what the house actually is we finally get this reunion that harry has been looking forward to for a full month where he finally gets to question ron and hermione and this goes about as well as everybody expects us as the readers and the actual in-story characters as they look at harry with like this trepidation throughout the entire conversation harry holds back for a while before that's generous Dan. before letting loose <laughs> but yeah what do you think about the angsty angry harry potter in this i mean like i have nicknamed this book harry potter and the teenage angst um i feel like i know that i've talked about this before but i feel like it's very hard to remember as a reader the actual ages of the main characters mm -hmm. which is probably why like i get so riled up with how like harry like handles this whole situation but i mean bro like calm down 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it. I do, like, you saw Voldemort come back, and then essentially, like, for your whole summer, you've been getting, like, nothing from your friends. And you feel like everyone's deserted you, and no one's giving you any information. You can't find anything, and you feel like you're in the dark. And then finally, like, you get... I mean, I can't even say you get looped in, because he doesn't really get looped in. But, like, you know, you finally figure out, like, why it's so secretive. And then you just lose your mind on your friends. And I get it. Like, your friends are also the people that it's easiest to, like, just let it all out. Because you know that, like, after you, like completely lose it on them that they're not going to be like wow um so how do we kick this guy out of here like they're still going to help him but I mean (sighs) and like I feel like the other thing too before he meets with Ron and Hermione is they have the meeting with the order and they talk about how you know essentially the kids quote unquote um aren't allowed in the meeting and I feel like that's also equally as frustrating as a reader when you're like okay can we talk about the last four books and what's happened and the fact that you guys are just like all right children go play upstairs with your music on so you can't hear anything like I feel like it's anytime that the main trio does not have pertinent information it ends up a thousand times worse than if you just told them, like, one little breadcrumb. Hermione mentions that. She has this quote that says, uh, I told him you'd do something stupid if you were stuck on your all on your own without news. She's not wrong. She's not wrong at all. <laughs> um, I would just like to point out another character in the story calling Harry dumb, in a, in a sense. But you'd do something stupid if, if you were all on your own. Hermione's very perceptive with a yes. lot of it. She uh, correctly assumes that he's not happy with them she acknowledges it when she's talking to him she says i know that our letters were useless um so she's she understands that he's mad and she understands that he's in a very frustrating situation she also knows him enough to be able to say you like we tried to tell them that you would be doing something stupid if you don't have news which is a completely understandable point of view to to have with us like if i were in harry's position I think it's difficult because if you don't know the full rules or the full circumstance of what you are in, how can you be expected to make intelligent decisions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that they were they, they very much infantilize the trio in this chapter. The, the other adults do, yeah. and it's I think it's to to people's detriment, um, as seen in Harry's attitude. I mean, he's very upset. He's very hurt. He's been dealing with very heavy things, but no one gives him any real validation that he's been able to handle them in a in a healthy way at the same time he's really taken it out on the wrong people Mm -hmm. Hermione and Ron have no control over the fact that they've been told don't tell him they have they're not of age they have no power in this whatsoever to well they told me not to do it and I'm gonna do it the amount of trouble that they could get in for that vastly outweighs the benefit especially when the adults are probably taking somewhat of a more naive approach to it and saying well we'll tell him later or when he gets here it'll be fine or like kind of being dismissive of it they're not in a position where they're able to change or do anything so him yelling at them isn't accomplishing anything it's making him feel better i don't (laughs) right i don't i don't like it i think he needs to take a step back and not scream at people that are just trying to help well and it's like they always talk so much about like 
trusting Dumbledore, Dumbledore, trust him, Dumbledore, Dumbledore, Dumbledore. And then all of a sudden, like, Harry's like, why are you listening to that guy? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yep. I have my own issues, as I think I could speak for all three of us. We all have our own issues with Albus Dumbledore sure. and what information he yeah. keeps. I get it. I do. You are out of the loop. But at the same time, like, Harry, take a deep breath. So I'll go out and I'll defend Harry here a little bit. I feel like this chapter is a big example that a lot of people point to when they get frustrated with Harry and his emotions in this book. Yeah. And that's fair. I get why. But like you said, Julie, right at the beginning is we forget that he's 15. Mm -hmm. And me in my 30s would address a miscommunication or a lack thereof a little bit more directly in that I would recognize that it's really not Ron and Hermione that I'm mad at. It's the situation. It's the circumstances. It's the whole thing. And hopefully I would do a little bit better in my current age of not putting it all on the people that are just the conduits for that. 15, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would, like, let it fly. Yeah, I feel like at 15, like, you're going to be a little bit more, like, hot-headed. But at the same time, like... With everything that the trio's been through, I feel like there should be a lot more of a, like, this isn't about you. I know there's one feeling that he said specifically that I kind of latched onto, where he says after wanting to speak with them for a full month, now that he's actually in the same room with them, he wants nothing to do with them. And I could remember in my more emotional youth that that feeling would crop up at times. It's like, I feel wronged by you. I, I don't want to deal with you anymore. I don't want to deal with you because I feel like you've done something wrong to me or whatever have you. It's an immature thought and it's an immature emotion, but this is an immature adult that we're dealing with. I think that that's fair to say, but I just don't think he goes about it in the right way. Like I agree I don't with you, think but it's like it's a 15 year old kid no right but like what you're saying and what you're describing right now where you're saying like he he wants to be around these people and then he gets to be around those people and he doesn't want to be around those <clears> people <throat> i don't think there's any problem with that i think yeah. that that's an understandable feeling to have i don't think it's fair for him to scream at them to the extent that he did He's taking it out on the wrong people. He's also not listening to what they're saying. Like, yeah. Hermione is out of the gate apologetic and saying, she, like, I think she handles it very well. To, yeah. Right. She's incredibly empathetic in this mm -hmm. chapter, and she's super nice. And I think that the, the other aspect of this for me is it's not just that he goes in and he's upset and he wants to let that out. It's that this is, um, it's, it's a rough chapter. is indicative of where his mindset is now and and might be for this book but it it feels very much like he's he's feeling what he's feeling and that's great and he's entitled to his feelings for all of this but people are trying to talk to him about sure. it and mm -hmm. she's apologizing to him and he's so caught up in how he's feeling that he's not listening to her whatsoever he can be mad don't scream at your best friend sure. when they're actively apologizing yes. to you and when they're actively saying like Yes, we agree with you that right. you should have had more information, but this is why you didn't have information. And I feel like there's just so much of, <clears throat> like, yes, we have to remember that Harry is 15. But at the same time, like, 
when you look at how he's reacting, like, uh, listen, my toddler communicates better than Harry did right here. <laughs> Harry may have been a little bit more eloquent than my toddler, but <laughs> you keep screaming at your friends who are constantly trying to help you. And all that you can do when they're trying to help you is be like, well, you're not helping me. And it's like, no, but they're trying, sir. They are trying to help you. They tried to speak on your behalf to get you heard. And instead of being like, oh, yeah, thanks for doing that. But this still really, really sucks. Like, instead, you keep yelling at them and saying, like, hey, you know how Dumbledore is seen as the most powerful wizard and, like, the greatest wizard of our time? You guys should have stopped him and told him he was wrong at 15 years old. Like, right, come on. He drives Hermione to tears, screaming yeah. at her and at so Ron. I agree with you both in that, obviously not the right way to handle the situation. All I'm saying is, it's more understandable of a 15-year-old. I would actually argue that it might be more understandable coming from an adult. Because in a, as an adult, you can kind of get into, like, your own little, like, rant and tangent where all of a sudden, at the end of it, you're like, whoa, okay, huh, I just let that all out you, and that is not who I meant it for. And, like, you can kind of, like, let it all out because you kind of, like, just get into your flow of, like, expressing your emotions. But, like, as a 15-year-old, you'd think once you start seeing one of your best friends crying that you'd be like, oh, okay. Like, I'm not exactly hearing this. To, to that point, does he? I, I, I literally just read this chapter and I'm, I'm trying really hard to remember because I don't remember reading it. Does he apologize? Does no. he no. acknowledge in any way that he was wrong? He, he says he feels right. He feels a little bad deflated. toward the like the very end of it. Right. Yeah. He, his curiosity outweighs his anger. I think is how, something like something that. like that how they phrase it. But exactly to your point, I think it's a little bit more forgiving if you start screaming at me over something and then you're like, you know what? I didn't mean to do. You know what? I'm sorry. I wasn't mad at you. That's an adult way of thinking about it, though. But he doesn't... Okay, but so the, Hermione, this is... This, I, I don't like this, and I, I don't want to call this out as, like, a gender stereotype or anything like that, but if Hermione can walk into the situation while she's actively being screamed at and be empathetic and apologetic and not actually hold any anger towards him for screaming at her, he's 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 displaying zero emotional intelligence yes, in this, and but, she, but she's able to do it at 15. They're the same age. Sure. There, there's a couple of things there, though. One, there is kind of a gender gap there, because generally women mature faster than men anyway. But I mean, two, you're aware, Dan. <laughs> but two, the characters themselves have always shown Harry's a little bit more hot-headed, temper flares and flies. Hermione's more reserved, thought-centered anyway, as characters who they are. Well, so there's, like, I think a double... Like, she clearly saw this coming from a mile away and was like, yes. Ron, we have to prep for this. It's going to be not great. I'm 100% on board for calling Harry an idiot often. I think I have coined multiple phrases during this podcast to one angle or another. I guess my whole thing is I challenge anyone at 15 to handle any traumatic circumstance and any follow-up thereafter any better 
like it's hard at that age. I just don't want to paint that. I, I, I'm I'm willing to carve a slight exception out for Harry because of the PTSD that he's suffering that is probably hindering some level of this. But like, I'm reluctant to paint a blanket of like, well, you're 15, you don't know how to do it when Hermione clearly does. And like, I don't necessarily subscribe to the notion that like women mature faster than men. She also didn't experience all that. No, she didn't. Right. I understand that. And that's why I'm saying I'm okay with carving out an exception for Harry and his PTSD, but I'm not okay with putting this blanket statement out there of like 15 year olds can't handle it because Hermione is able to be incredibly emotionally ahead of where Harry and Ron are. And I'm also reluctant to say that like women mature faster than men when I think it's more, and this is way too nuanced and off topic for what this Harry Potter podcast is supposed to cover, but I do also feel like there's more of a societal expectation that women are emotionally intelligent versus men at that age. Do we know, because we see other moments where Hermione is not necessarily on her game with emotions from time to time. She lets it slip. No one is. People are human. People are always going to slip. So it's like... I guess, you know, to, to your point, too, is we don't know how Hermione specifically would have handled anything that Harry's going through. If we, I guess it all then boils down to we're not in other people's shoes. <laughs> like, let's not no, necessarily right. put ourselves right. into what other people are thinking, feeling, whatever. But then we lose the defense of Harry saying, well, if he's been experiencing PTSD, we can cut him a break. Because if we're not going to put ourselves in his shoes versus Hermione's shoes, then... There's not really any analysis yeah. to be. I'm not saying what he did this. was appropriate. It wasn't. It was definitely not appropriate. I'm just not burying the kid. Yeah. Well, so he, like... he has a couple moments of being outright cruel. I mean, he's he he talks about yeah. noticing that Hedwig was pecking their fingers, and there are there's a moment that he has in all of this where they mention that Hedwig is pecking. Uh, Hermione and Ron's fingers, and Harry notices that Hermione's fingers are all bloodied, and he doesn't feel sorry about it. He notices that there are open sores on both of his friends who are, again, actively apologizing to him. And he says that in that moment, he feels no remorse. It's an mm-hmm. incredibly cold and cruel remark for him, which is a It was bit an aggressive thing character. to do in the first place, was to it, tell Hedwig exactly. to, yes. like, that was an aggressive thing super to start aggressive. out with. And B, he feels no remorse. Mm-hmm. He looks at the sores on his friend's fingers and he's like, they deserved it. And that's, that's not a like, yeah. And I would say that like, you know, telling Hedwig, to you know essentially get answers by any means necessary feels very 15 year old to me yes but then saying it and or then seeing it and going yep don't feel bad about it because my friends didn't write me a detailed letter of confidential information that could be intercepted <laughs> I think ptsd I... or not yeah. like i mean look, harry's had ptsd for the past Five, his life. Four, four years, years. Like, yeah, his life. How <laughs> yeah. do you want to call it? His whole life, the past, like, four years at Hogwarts? Like, he, I'm not saying that, like, he doesn't have an excuse to not be, like, totally, like, mentally and emotionally. Like, no therapy in this world st- at all. Yeah, it right. doesn't seem like there's any therapist. We've that's, talked about that. That's this. the yeah. appropriate setting for all of this emotion <laughs> letting <laughs> out. And, like, but, like, when you see that your actions have hurt the people that are closest to you and are always in your corner and no matter how stupid and idiotic you are they always still have your back and then you go I don't feel bad about it like that's where I take issue with all of it is that 
I'm fine with acknowledging that he's 15 and yep. he has teenage angst. We've all been there. We've all witnessed it. But, like, to sit there and just go, hey, remember, his life sucks. Like, I don't think we can let him off the hook that easily. I completely agree. I think, first of all, going back to the snowy owl thing, Molly and I talked about it on the last episode. A snowy owl is a large owl. Like, pecking, those talons are legit. Yeah. That could do some real actual... I'm sure Hedwig was, like, not going for actual critical damage. Still, that could They still have their fingers, so I don't think... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So there's that. I've been in those situations, and I have let some anger go in my youth. And then once that ebbs away and I'm no longer feeling angry about it, that's when the remorse comes in. Yeah. I don't think we've hit that period yet. He I, is I still mean, full we, anger. We in never this moment. do hit that period though. We can get more into that in the spoilers. I think we should go a little bit deeper into that, because yeah. I think that's also a good point. Um, all right, moving on from I will say angsty, though, angry Harry. I do love that the twins are used for comedic relief <clears throat> from all of this. Right when it you're sitting there and like you're just as worked up reading it, yes, like as the characters in the book, the twins quite literally pop in and start making jokes. Yeah, I think one of my favorite lines from that was. Uh, Harry, we could hear your dulcet tones from the other room or something like that. Yep. And I was like, nice choice of words to just break the tension. I just... literally laughed out loud when I was reading it earlier. Like, because I was like, it's just so ridiculous. Harry is screaming at his friends. Ron and Hermione are essentially just like taking it. And the twins are just like, hey, you're being real loud. Yeah. How so, did we miss your entrance, Harry? I have a couple of questions on that, though. If the twins could hear it, I'm assuming the, the portrait, a couple, whatever, a floor down could probably hear it. I know they put, like, some spell on the door so that they couldn't hear them, but could they hear, the, like, Harry just going nuts upstairs? I wonder if they were just too focused on, like, the actual, like, meeting that, yeah, it didn't matter. Like, you just kind of assume, like... Oh, the kids are going to be loud. Like, I mean, it one might kid. Be, one kid is being loud. It might just be like muffled general noise. So maybe you just write it off as like, oh, there's some excitement going on. Maybe. Or like, they're I just mean, think about being Molly and Arthur. Like, their house is probably never quiet. So they've probably like learned to block learned it out. to tune out anything that is not happening in the current room they are in when they're in the silence. Yeah. <laughs> when it's silence for them, that's when they worry. That's yeah. Fair. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, speaking of the meeting going down. Going on downstairs, we get a little bit more information on the Order of the Phoenix from Ron and Hermione. We learn that there are about 20 or so members, give or take, might be more. We learn a little bit more about Bill and Floor, because Bill's not working in Egypt anymore. And he's come home to uh, help Floor with some of her English lessons. Yeah. Uh, We we learn that Percy has been promoted to junior assistant to the minister, uh, which causes some family drama, uh, to say the least. With the 20 or so members of the Order, uh, these are just the ones that I thought of off the top of my head. We obviously have Bill, Charlie, whose job is supposedly to recruit some foreign wizards. Uh, we have Molly and Arthur, obviously. We have the real Alistair Moody. We have uh, Sturgis Podmore from uh, the Advanced Guard chapter. Uh, Hestia Jones, Emmeline Vance from the previous chapter. Tonks, obviously. Lupin, Kingsley. Diggle, I'm assuming Hagrid, and Sirius. Right? And Snape. And Snape. 
we get Snape and uh, uh, who else? I think there's one more in there that I'm forgetting. But do uh, you think Madame Maxine is in this thing? Because we hear at the end of Goblet of Fire that her and Hagrid were going to go off and do something. Are we including Madame Maxine in this or no? I don't think we have enough information. To yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I wouldn't assume that she's necessarily like order. Might she be doing things for the order without realizing it? Yeah. Possibly. So, is Mundungus considered part of the order? Oh, Mundungus yes. would be part of the order. So that puts us up to what, fifth, sixteen, uh, I think. Um, are we counting Dumbledore? I guess we should actually oh, count yeah. the the guy who's running it all. That's seventeen. Seventeen. And I don't know. Is are we counting like McGonagall? Do you think McGonagall would be part of this at this point, or any of the other teachers at Hogwarts? I'm sure that some of the teachers at Hogwarts would at least. I don't think necessarily be like actively involved, but at least have some type of knowledge that it exists and that they might be like McGonagall's his right hand woman though she's gotta be yeah I don't know if she's like involved involved or like a consultant this is also like the very beginning we're like a month into this so we get to Percy and there's a lot going on with Percy here we know that his promotion led to a break with the family because him and Arthur had a blowout argument over what exactly the ministry's intentions are for Percy because he got this promotion and he kind of royally screwed up in Goblet of Fire by not noticing that his boss is not really in a good state of mind or really himself at all in any way, shape, or form. I did crack up that she called it a fairly large oversight. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is putting it mildly. Yeah. That sounds corporate America to me. <laughs> so Percy gets this promotion. Arthur thinks it's a ploy from Fudge to spy on the family and spy on Dumbledore because the minister knows Arthur is close with Albus. So Percy ends up saying a lot of not-so-kind things to and about Arthur. Uh, so, uh, Julie, I think you had some some points on this. Okay, that as, was a as, terrible leading I, I know, to what my a, point what that I setup, told you about, Dan. What a setup <laughs> I just said. Excuse me, I'm pretty sure it's normally Jen and I that are going at you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little attacked right now. Um, Go ahead. So, <laughs> here's the spotlight. Any, yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. One of the points that gets brought up when... Hermione and the Weasleys are explaining the Percy situation to Harry is like Harry's like well doesn't he believe like Dumbledore doesn't he believe what I'm saying and the only piece of credit that I will give to Percy I'm briefly very 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 See now you're backing down from where you were earlier <laughs> giving a hot take of defensive Percy Uh-oh. that Percy has not been as involved in everything that's happened with Harry over the past, like, four years as the rest of the Weasleys, as Hermione, as, you know, half of the Order has been. And, I mean, guys, again, we just spent a lot of time talking about remember that Harry is 15. 15-year-olds make stuff up, and I think that it is reasonable that if someone was like you know if you heard molly and arthur saying well we believe harry like i don't know as someone who is working at the ministry and like you're trying to like figure out whether or not like 
you know, the biggest safety threat to wizard kind is coming back. Like, I don't know that you'd necessarily be like, well, you know, the 15 year old said <laughs> that it's true. So it must be like, I get why you wouldn't necessarily go. Well, if Harry Potter says it, it must be true. That is the only defense I will give of Percy. And don't come at me, people. <laughs> so before Jen gets her two cents in on this, I will say we have criticized Albus Dumbledore a lot. Mm -hmm. It's not going to stop today. It's, it <laughs> will not. But that all being said, the wizarding world as a whole doesn't have a whole lot to really criticize Dumbledore on. I know the ministry is starting to spin some stuff and starting to control the media narrative and, you know, turn the narrative on Dumbledore. But really, you're talking about who has predominantly been the greatest wizard in the world, the whole world, not just this little mini Britain, for a substantial period of time. And who has been there, done that, and has proven his wisdom in a lot of different ways for a long time. Distrust Harry all you want as a 15-year-old kid. If Albus Dumbledore says something, shouldn't people be like, oh, wait a second, why is he saying that? But you also have to remember how old Albus Dumbledore is, and I feel like it's very, like, the point does eventually get brought up that, like, obviously no one wants Voldemort to come back. Right. So even with, like, Dumbledore saying, like, guys, he's back, he is back, come on, let's uh, get the defensive squad going, like, if you haven't seen it with your own two eyes and you don't want to believe it's true, right. like, I feel like it's a lot easier to believe that Albus Dumbledore has lost it in his old age and is putting too much stock in what a 15-year-old boy says. People could believe he has his own obsessed hero complex. Yes, exactly. And so I feel like it's a lot easier to follow that train of thought than to go, hey, this super strong danger that we thought was over is actually back. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And this is something that I actually hadn't considered on previous rereads of it. So I think that this is a really good point to um, bring up that there is a lot more nuance, like what you're saying to this situation, where um, I think it's fair to say, and we can all agree that Percy took it to an extreme and that leaving and saying it, it's not an excuse for um, saying really insulting things to his father. It's not an excuse for upright leaving the family and choosing career over family. But I think that there is some merit to um, maybe trying to see things from Percy's point of view in the sense that, like what you're saying, he's not super close to Harry. If he doesn't have that relationship with Harry, if he kind of writes him off as like, oh, you know, like he's younger, he's like Ron, you know, he knows Ron's an idiot. Maybe he just kind of, you know, associates with that. And then uh, to your point with Dumbledore and wouldn't you respect something if Dumbledore said it so he could feel Percy I could very much see a scenario where Percy is Percy's always been very career oriented there are separate discussions that could be had to figure out if there was any merit to putting him in Slytherin over Gryffindor just based on how very heavily Probably a very focused. good argument no right because he's heavily focused on ambition mm -hmm. that's like his main character trait it's one of his insults he flings at Arthur exactly mm -hmm. so um, and he knows that about himself and he embraces that about himself and he's very career oriented. So he's working in a place that he's probably always wanted to work, um, you know, and he's starting to see that maybe his father isn't being taken as seriously. 
um, because it's amb ambition and career are very important to him. He does see it as a negative. I think that's fair. Uh, Arthur hasn't been like a stellar success story at the ministry. He's happy with what he does and that's what matters and that's cool. Um, but if Percy's main goal is to get higher and higher and higher, his dad's not really the example for that. So if you put him in this environment where he's surrounded by other like-minded, ambitious people, he might be hearing uh, either about things from them first, he's hearing other perspectives from people, he might find himself in a position where he feels like, well, I know these influential people and, and, and uh, very ambitious, you know, like-minded, uh, he sees himself in them, right? So if he's hearing these things from them, he could actually find himself in a position well, where he's been brought up to think that Dumbledore is the best, but if he's getting a, a, a very heavy counter-opinion to that, he might, he might feel even more superior in the sense of, well, I have a sense of what's going on with the ministry. You to, know? Your, mm -hmm. to your point, everything I just said about Dumbledore and like, why wouldn't you trust everything Dumbledore says? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you trust the Minister of Magic? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's 100% to your yep. point on yep. that. If you're getting that information from another trusted, so it puts Percy in a really yeah. tough position. It does. And it's who's easier to mm. trust, like the Minister of Magic, who essentially holds the keys to your career, or essentially your parents, because like by trusting what Arthur and Molly are saying, you're trusting Dumbledore. And when you view Arthur as essentially like a weight holding you back at the ministry, like, yeah, you're going to, like Percy's a suck up, we all know it. So he is automatically going to go, oh yes, yes minister, I do agree with you. And then after you agree so many times and you realize like, oh hey, agreeing also got me a promotion so this it's works, like a he must be right. Yeah. And it's easier, like you're not gonna sit there and after you got that promotion be like, oh yeah, my boss is an idiot. So let me hang out with you guys all the time, mom and dad. Right. So and I have a question for you two. Okay. So the question is, we see that now, we see this blow up. We see the Percy Arthur blow up secondhand because mm -hmm. we're being told of it. We're not in that room as it's happening. But I'll ask you anyway, Percy, and against Arthur or Harry against Ron and Hermione, which one's worse? I say Harry's worse. Okay. Um, my reason being is, I mean, we've already talked about this blow up extensively, so I'm not <laughs> going to really get back into it. But I think, especially when you look at like the Weasleys dynamic, like each of the kids has like their own special talents, we'll call it. Um, and when you look at Percy, where his main goal is to, you know, have this authority and this seniority, and there's probably already been a lot of built up frustration that he's not necessarily getting the advantages of his dad working at the ministry. And I'm not saying that it excuses anything that he's said at all, but I think when He's being fed all of this stuff from Fudge, from Fudge's circle, and then it comes to a head, and then, you know, you get this great promotion at work that, like, arguably you don't really deserve, but it's like you get this great promotion at work, and you come home, and you're like, guys, look at this killer promotion I got, and then your parents, instead of saying, like, oh, hey, well done, and then, like, you know, maybe the next day say, like, by the way, like, you might want to think about this concept instead like 
Arthur and Molly essentially like also turn on Percy and say like you realize that you completely messed up your job they gave you this promotion at the same time that they're trying to discredit Dumbledore who your father is very like pretty much public about being friendly with and supporting and I don't know how anyone reacts differently to that. Like, you're talking about someone who is fresh out of school. I mean, Percy's still only, what would that make him, 18, 19 years old. Yeah, give or take. And so you figure he's 18, 19 years old, and he gets this amazing promotion, and pretty much his parents' response to it is, you realize that the only reason that you got that is so that you can spy on this family. Like, you know, we're trying to give Harry an out because he's 15, but at the same time, like, this is Percy at his first job and his first big promotion while he comes from a big family, which means, like, you know, praise obviously has to be, like, split up a little bit. I think that you hit it on the head because this isn't just something that there. This is something that he cares deeply about is very proud of and I think probably has internalized that criticism because it hits at his very core Mm -hmm. and I think based on that I was I was leaning towards saying Percy and Mr. Weasley were worse but I think because I can at least see both sides not handling it well to answer your question, I think Harry against Ron and Hermione is worse. I would say the Percy one is worse, and here's why. I think Percy gets into very personal attacks to his father that cut deep. He's not just yelling at them in frustration about like, why didn't you tell me X, Y, or Z? Percy's getting at some things that cut Arthur particularly deep and have clearly driven a wedge so deep that it literally has split a family. And now his name is taboo, like in the in the family circle, where that if it's mentioned, Arthur turns very stony. Molly starts crying over it just at the mention of his name. Uh, I think the personal and Percy knows what he's doing too. He's not an idiot, you know. He knows the issues that he has with his father, and he knows some of the things that will tick at at his dad. And I think he weaponized those words pretty specifically. He sharpened them well. In his defense, I think Mr. and Mrs. Weasley started that. Sure, but I I do like your point about Arthur and Molly could have handled this much more differently mm-hmm. about the promotion. The blame is much more spread. Yes. In this scenario. Yes. It's a more tragic outcome. Well, isn't that alone enough to be like, this might be worse? <laughs> like, the outcome is more tragic? Well, no, because I would argue that the outcome is more tragic in Percy versus Arthur because of the fact that neither side handled it well. Both sides essentially, once they were attacked, defended themselves versus, like, when Ron and Hermione were being screamed at, they were like, I mean, like, we get it. We're sorry. We wish we could have done more. Like, we're trying to help you. Whereas, like, I mean, listen, we're hearing all of this information secondhand about the Percy-Arthur argument. Yeah. But what it comes down to for me is that 
both sides probably said things that were hurtful. And for Percy, Arthur pretty much saying, like, you only got this job so that you can spy on our family. I feel like it's a logical jump that Percy would then go, why would the minister want to spy on you when, you know, you your position's a joke at the ministry? And then it just turns into two adults, if we want to call Percy at 1920 an adult. Like, you have two adults essentially taking jabs at each other. And, of course, it's eventually going to turn into, like, all right, we're done. What, you know, 19, 20-year-old is going to hear that from their parents and be like, sure, I'm just going to hang out here. Like, no, he's going to leave. And, yes, he chose work, which, like isn't necessarily the best choice to me it's so much worse that harry like attacked his friends and has no remorse for it at all and wants to like continue that anger as we see multiple times throughout the book that he kind of keeps going back to it and keeps building on it and not letting it go and of course it's going to be like hurtful for arthur and molly because they essentially like lost one of their children but at the same time, they also said equally hurtful things to Percy. Just because they weren't so as what most people... It depends on how you're quantifying worse. But to me, worse in this case means um, it's not just a question of severity. It's a question of how did this dynamic unfold? An intent. An intent. And I think that there's a lot to be said for the Weasleys end up putting them, both Percy and Mr. Weasley, end up putting themselves in a very defensive position. And I think a justification for anger is another one because I think Percy has a right to be mad at Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, and I think Mr. Weasley has a right to be mad at Percy because they both said things that were taking pot shots at each other. I don't think Harry has a right to be mad at her, Ron and Hermione. I don't think Harry has, he has a, a right. right to be mad. Maybe yes. not at Ron or Hermione. But yes, the yes. entire fight is that he's yelling at them. He's, he's taking it and out he's on blaming them. He's, them. he's blaming them. He is taking it out on the wrong people because they did not do anything wrong. They're apologizing. It's such a one-sided, angry thing. That's, to me, what feels worse about this is because none of it's based on anything. Like, the, the Percy and Mr. Weasley fight, that's based on something. They're and it's both, both of them building up into it. on each other. Yes. Whereas Harry's is, like... He hears from his friends, I'm sorry. Yes. And he goes, but I'm still mad. Exactly. It doesn't I think, find a way to uh, uh, mediate that at all. Yeah. I think the Harry thing is easier to shrug off. Because I, I don't think Ron or Hermione are taking anything he says personally. It's it's still I mean, not... Hermione literally was crying. Yeah, yeah but I, think that's, I he, think that's some of what Harry was dishing out and some of like she's starting to feel frustrated like she can't get her message across and it's not sinking in. Because like, she can't, because he keeps yelling sure. at her when she apologizes. Mm-hmm. I think that's easier to shrug off than personal attacks. Like, sometimes you say words and you can't take those words back. I'm way more okay if someone's pissed at me for something legitimate and then we make up over time versus if someone just lashes Depends out Depends on what's being said. See, but I also think that in the instance of... Arthur and Percy a lot of the things that were like more personal attacks are also things that whether or not they were said out loud are probably things that they knew like you're telling me that Percy who like 
essentially wants to be the youngest minister of magic as his like you know career goal you're telling me he's never made a comment about how his dad's job is embarrassing like it's all stuff that i'm sure both sides doesn't make it any better to hear yeah but the thing is is that it's like it's also known things that you purposely and you know that you're escalating the situation and like yes it's bad and the result is terrible but Harry just kept going. Harry literally saw that his friends were down, saw that Hermione's crying, and keeps going. Saw that his friends were injured by his owl because he was in a pissy mood, and kept going. And felt no remorse about any of it, and kept saying, like, they still haven't heard me, then I'm pissed off at them. And it doesn't matter that Harry's anger wasn't actually directed at them, because he still let it all out at them and felt zero remorse. It wasn't at the end of it that he was like, oh my god I'm so sorry guys that like that all let out at you like I wasn't mad at you I was mad at the situation and you guys were just kind of like there there (laughs) like that's not what happens instead he keeps building on it and keeps yelling at them and keeps telling them that it's their fault and there's no defense his anger in this is so harsh that for the rest of the chapter every interaction that Hermione and Ron have has some sort of like Ron hoping to keep the conversation on a more stable ground. Hermione, uh, you know, tentatively, un- or tentatively <laughs> yeah. uh, hoping to not trigger yeah. Harry again. Like all of their actions after that are are very guarded because of how strongly he was yelling at them. Mm-hmm. That's it's it's such a one way thing, and that to me makes it worse. So we can we can just agree to disagree. On it sounds to me like there is a pull that needs to be had. Yes. <laughs> this would be a great pull. This would be a great pull. So check that out on Spotify when this episode drops. <laughs> and check out our Twitter, which I'm sure will run that poll on there as well. We'll just head over to the spoilers, because we're up against a long non-spoiler section. And we'll get some of Julie's thoughts on Goblet of Fire, look ahead to Order of the Phoenix, and... Uh, if you want, we can kind of delve back into the spoiler version of some of this uh, yeah. with, with Harry's emotions. So we will be right back with the spoiler section. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, we're back with the spoiler section of chapter four, number 12, Grim Old Place. And we're just going to jump right back into the Harry <laughs> angst conversation, but now spoilery. Harry extends this kind of like angst anger kind of vibe throughout the entire book. There, I think, are a couple of different reasons why. It's not all stemming from the lack of information over the summer. It's the fact that he gets an insanely abusive teacher through this year. And also the fact that, I mean, quite honestly, Dumbledore's ignoring him for most of the year. Why is he ignoring him? Albus thinks there's more at play in Harry than just Harry's teenage angst. Uh, there's an underlying issue there, and that's the fact that there's part of Voldy's soul in him that kind of crops up every now and then, uh, whether to spy or or just yeah. to... I can see where that might put you in a bad mood. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a uh, disconcerting disposition. <laughs> Let's just call it that. I like that, yeah. Um, Voldy, we know, is not one for the light, happy mood. Uh, he's... I almost spit on my water. I would have loved to get a spit take on the podcast. That would have been great. Yeah, he's got a generally murder-filled disposition. <laughs> so... I, th- th- all serious, no, th- that does actually play a factor into Harry's emotions. He does get a little bit more of that cropping up, and it's more surface level, which Albus knows and then backs off. Whether that's the right decision or not is a whole other debate. It's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole, it's a whole yeah. thing. I mean, like, I feel like there's a lot, and you see it pop up especially now, of the adults forgetting everything that like the trio has been through and going I mean like I know that we just spend a a lot of time talking about like remember that they're 15 they're 15 they're 15 but I feel like the opposite side of that is like when everyone keeps saying we're not going to tell them this we're not going to tell them this we're not going to tell them this it's like when has that helped in the past four years Every single time that you do not give them a pertinent piece of information, they go off and do something stupid, and thankfully, it's turned out okay. But, like... I mean, you just go right back to Hermione's quote at the beginning of the chapter, with, like, Mm -hmm. you'd do something stupid if you were stuck all alone. Yeah. Literally. If Dumbledore just said, hey, Harry, if you go to the Dursleys for this amount of time every summer, there is a protection spell on you. Half of this angst that happened in this chapter wouldn't have happened if Dumbledore had just said, hey, you have to hang out here. We can't tell you much you because... You Mrs. Fig as an outlet. Like, like, go talk to her if you really need it. But it's whatever. like, if someone had just told him that you need to go there because then there's a protection spell that is strong, then Harry would have been like, wow, this is really terrible. But, like... But- you also go into it I with a whole it. different mind frame. Yes. So yeah. it might not be as horrible because you're going said, into it with a whole okay, other it's okay, like, I have to be here for yeah. 36 days. Let's tick off the days on my calendar. Like, then you know. He knows that he's going, that he can get out of it after a set number of days. He knows that he can't get information because things could be intercepted. Like, there's ways to quickly tell him that. But instead, we go, oh, he's 15. We can't tell him any of this information, even though he's cheated death already, like, 27 times. <laughs> like, it's, come on. It's also, it's interesting because I don't know how much of this would really have been a detriment, right? So, yeah. like, there, the overarching concern in all of this is that Dumbledore is withdrawing because he's worried that Voldemort's got a connection to Harry and that Voldemort's going to get privy to all of their plans. Why is it so hard to have a discussion with, like, you know, Dumbledore comes to Harry and he's like, hey, I can't tell you some stuff about what's going on because I'm worried that he's going to spy on you. We're thinking about you. We're going to get you out as soon as possible. I'll take you to go get ice cream. It'll be a real great well, time. Like, th- why Things can changed not- in a month because Dumbledore at the end of Goblet of Fire was very willing to have conversations with Harry and be like, yeah. no, 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 you need to be in on this. You need to experience this. Mm-hmm. This is what we're doing. And then in that month, it changes. But at the same time, I feel like Dumbledore is intelligent enough to know that things can change that quickly. And I feel like at the end of Goblet of Fire, he could have said, like, this is what I think you need to know. But also, again, just tell him about the protection spell. 
Well, I wonder to what extent the only the only reason I want to I might argue against at least giving him the hundred percent truth. I think that there should have been some. He should have said something about like you have to go there for reasons, a reason, yeah. right? Maybe not like to the full extent of like you have to go there for because I think that they I think that was something he wanted to hide from yeah Voldemort. I agree with every every like yeah. to give up or get, I don't know give him some like made up reason of like you know you have to lie do to that him because just lie to him yeah I mean <laughs> I mean you yeah. spend his entire lifetime lying to him no, why stop now give him a new lie I think and this is a whole ethical thing that's like you know probably I don't know this is why I'm in Slytherin but like <laughs> I think if you're doing something and it's a half truth but it's for the person's benefit. And you know that maybe later you can rectify it with that lie. person. Yeah. I think a little white lie every now and then would be appropriate. If I was in Harry's position and Dumbledore was like, you need to go back to the your muggle thing because the, I don't know, some make up some reason. I like the Ministry of Magic needs you to have a residence of, of X amount yeah. of days and then you can go to the Weasleys. I don't think Harry would have cared. Yeah. And I think if Harry found out later where it was like, actually there was a magical spell that was protecting you all this, I don't think Harry would be like, oh my God, I'm so yeah. hurt. Or you just tell Harry like, you have to stay at the Dursleys so that, you know, Voldemort doesn't realize that we're trying to thwart his plans, so we're trying to make everything seem normal. Yeah. No, perfect. Ta-da! A, like, that's not technically a lie. Yeah. And B, it at least gives him something to hold on to. Hold mm-hmm. anything. Any information is better than no information. I think Harry confuses uh, the fact that while he has survived some spectacular things that no 15-year-old or adult in this world should probably survive, he's confusing that with the fact that he's in those situations to begin with. Whereas, like, Dumbledore's not going to divulge all of his state secrets and, like, all of his chess pieces to someone that literally is in the line of fire so repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. Which is fair. I just don't understand why he couldn't do something to the extent of, like, hey, so we can't tell you all those things because of all those reasons. But, like, you know, if you have questions, I'll try to answer them, but I can't answer everything because some of it's top secret. Mm-hmm. This feels so easy. Yes. You can be forthcoming and still not tell him anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's perfectly capable of spinning some words that way. Yeah. Yep. Like, he's an intelligent enough man to say something without saying anything. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'll get angsty if we keep talking about Harry's angst, so Fair. I think you can call it. Fair enough. <laughs> Julie, is there anything you're specifically looking forward to? Or yes. can't stand... Clearly we've hit on okay. what you can't stand. Oh, I have more that I can't stand. But what I'm looking forward to is, um, obviously, I am very happy that Sirius is a lot more involved in this book. We all know my love for Sirius Black, but I... You like Sirius Black? I know, right? Shocking. (laughs) We've known each other for over a decade. You've never heard this. (laughs) Um, But I love that he's being more involved and not in as secretive of a way as it was in Goblet of Fire. Like, he was still very present in Goblet of Fire, but it was a lot more, like, under the radar. And I love that in this book, there's a lot more that since he... I mean, he's not, like, out in public, but, like, since he's a little bit more out in the public, we can actually see him, like, interacting with Harry and more than just In-person interactions. Yeah, yeah, like, in-person interactions that aren't just a, like... Oh, hey, you have to be back in five minutes? Like, all right, let's wrap this up, kid. Good luck, don't die. <laughs> like, and it's nice being able to see more of that dynamic and seeing, like, 
Sirius being like not free because I mean you could also argue that he's essentially just as caged now as he was in Azkaban. It's nice to get that dynamic like popping up more and having Harry get more not that Sirius is like family family but like if James and Lily were still alive like Sirius would have been his family and it's nice to get that component back for Harry as well that he's getting a glimpse of what his life could have been like if nothing in these books happened and also hot take guys for oh, what I'm excited oh about yeah. I am actually very excited for the introduction of Dolores Umbridge Ooh, I okay. fun fact about me I love a good villain I think like a well-written villain is so much more interesting than the best written hero. I'd agree with that. And, like, I know that this has been talked about a lot in, like, the Harry Potter realm of discussion, but, like, Umbridge is so much worse than Voldemort, and Umbridge hasn't even killed anybody. Yep. But, like, she is written so well and so terribly, like... Oh, uh, it's just so good. It makes and you I'm mad so, reading it. Yes, yeah. exactly. It, it evokes a strong emotion as you're reading a book, which yeah. I, I agree completely with you. That's my same thought process on yeah. that character. Like, she works for the Ministry, which isn't really, like, the good guys. They're the, like, perceived good, you're, I guess. You're starting like, to have that turn. Like, this book is that turn. Yes, where it's like, whoa, it's not just hero, villain. Like, you're getting all of the little, like, in-betweens of it, and, like... You spend the whole start of the book worrying about Voldemort, and then J.K. Rowling is just like, wow, you think he's bad? Hold <laughs> on, guys. You're not even going to care about Voldemort. <laughs> so I'm very excited. For... How, we talked a lot about Percy in the first non-spoiler. How do you think Percy would have gotten along with Umbridge? Yeah, he would have loved him. I think so, too. No, he would have. Yeah. She's all rules in order. She takes charge. Like, he would have been, like, her little... Head of the Inquisitorial Squad? Yes. Like, full on? Yep. Yeah, I think it would have been a very interesting combo if Percy was still at school Mm -hmm. with Umbridge. Yeah, but... So I'm very excited for that. Um, What I can't stand is Harry and his terrible attitude... (laughs) <laughs> and him just being an Stutter. idiot and making things worse. That's like most of what happens in this book. That's also most of Harry well, being yeah, an idiot and like, making things worse. I it's just so much worse in Even this book. worse in this book. Like the ending of this book wouldn't have happened if Harry wasn't such an idiot. Yep. Because he well, literally... that strikes a particular <laughs> chord with you specifically. <laughs> it does, which gets to my other point. <laughs> the other thing that I can't stand about this book... And this will not be the first time, I don't think this is the first time you've heard me say it, and it definitely won't be the last, is I have a lot of unresolved issues with Sirius Black and his death. Obviously that happens at the end of this book. And J.K. Rowling promised us some answers in Harry Potter and the Prolonged Camping Trip, a.k.a. Book 7, <laughs> and we never received the answers. J.K. Rowling, if you ever listen to this podcast, I want answers. <laughs> is he actually dead? Because he is not hit with a green beam. He's hit with a red beam. Green, dead. But what is that veil that he goes through? Exactly! We never got the answer to that question, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> 
stunning that, that is that my problem. Be, uh, count me floored that that is one of Julie's issues that she has with the Order of the Phoenix. Oh, well, we are in for it. I will say this, though. As much as Harry screws up and causes a lot of problems, particularly, like you said, at the end of this book, he does kick some things into motion that are massive going forward. Like, the DA sets a lot of things in motion that are going forward. I'm not in a very forgiving mood of Harry right now, Dan, for so character, I'm not giving him credit. For character growth <laughs> for of a anything. lot of different characters. I mean, technically, wasn't that Hermione's idea? Yes. But he taught. He was the one that led it. Okay, but, like, did he really have a choice in that matter? No, sir, he did not. I am not in a forgiving mood is right Neville, now, Dan. <laughs> is Neville or Luna different if they don't have those experiences? Yes. Is Ginny different because she doesn't have those experiences? Yes. What, but, the ministry? No, the DA. Yeah, but I mean... They might not survive. If they go with Harry, they might not survive if he's not the one teaching them all of this stuff in the DA. Okay, but we've argued multiple times on this podcast that Harry wouldn't have made it to this book if it wasn't for Ron and Hermione. So you could also argue that Ron and Hermione, like, while they might not have been able to do, like, a strong Patronus charm, like... This gets into the fact that it's like, Harry does have a lot of faults, and we tease him all the time for being referred to constantly in these books as a very special boy. He's a very special boy. But he does have actual magical talent. I don't think... We should just So does deploy. Hermione, though. Hermione could yeah. have taught the class almost just as well. Hermione can teach. I don't know that she can lead in certain circumstances, though. I mean, I would also argue that Harry's not exactly the most... His best moments are when he's pushed against the wall. When his back is against the wall, that's his best moments. Okay, but when his back was pushed up against the wall, that's what eventually led to, um, to Sirius's... Death. Harry knows it's, how to, you know, get the troops ready for battle. What Harry doesn't know how to do work. is think strategically in a sense that actually sure. keeps people alive. That's why they're a trio. Yeah. They cover a lot of each other's issues <laughs> and weak spots. Yeah. They work best yeah. together, obviously. Yeah. But exactly. there's things that Harry does that the other two can't. There's things that Hermione does that the other two can't. There's things that Ron can do that yeah. the other two can't. But I also think that... We also give Harry the credit for teaching everyone else because the books are literally called Harry Potter. Like, you can't sit there and say, like, oh, well, this all would have been fine yeah. without him when the book is literally I about mean, him. Yeah. Well, and that's why he's a very special boy. Yes, oh he God. is a very special boy <laughs> who, you know, right now <laughs> is not high on my favorites list. Fair enough. And he might not get back on my favorites list for the remainder of this series. But that's okay. We can talk about that later. <laughs> we have a long way to go. Yes. Long way to go. Jen, I think you have some, uh, some spoilery thoughts. I have a couple small spoilery thoughts that were just things that I noticed in this chapter that I just wanted to point out as being relevant later on in this thing. Um, the first being that there's this passing comment that Ron makes about Creature where he says, Dumbledore says we should be kind to Creature, which ends up being really big. Mm -hmm. They should be kind to Creature. They are not. 
dire One things. particular character that Julie loves is very emotional. <laughs> I, is it weird if I say I actually kind of like that aspect of it? Because I think it humanizes him. That Sirius is not. Well. Yes, that he's kind not nice. creature. Because I think it, I know that it's in like direct, it does unfortunately lead kind of directly to his downfall. Mm-hmm. It's one of the many aspects that's very direct line to yeah. his downfall, but. Um, I actually kind of like it because it, it just gives him more of a... It, it humanizes him. It makes him more of a nuanced character that he is very caring towards Harry and he's very kind of paternal in that aspect and he has had a very tragic backstory, but he does still have things that he hasn't fully processed and dealt with from his childhood and it's unfortunate that it ends up with him kind of doing him in, but um, I don't like that he's mean to Creature, but I like that he's developed. As being it's one of the great ironies with Sirius Black is because he gives that great quote in Goblet of Fire where mm-hmm. it's like, look at how a man treats his inferiors, not mm-hmm. his equals. Yes. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Uh, but what does he do here? Uh, well, and while we're, you know, defending Harry, defending Percy, defending everyone else who feels a little <laughs> uh, <laughs> not worthy of our defense, um, I will stand up for Sirius Black, shocker, um, <laughs> and say that, like, I also think that you know, him pointing out that, like, you know, see how they treat, like, not their equals, but their inferiors, like, the more nuanced take to it is also remembering that for Sirius, all of his family that, like, you know, he knew were terrible, awful people, and, I mean... his mom looks (laughs) lovely! What are you talking about? Knowing that all of them have died and that most of them died while he was in Azkaban or at least the last remaining members while he was in Azkaban so there wasn't really any way for him to get closure from that like yes there's the house and like you know he could light a torch to it and get closure that way healthy no but would it give him closure (laughs) possibly yeah um, I think having Creature as also a living, like, reminder of the memories of that home and the problems that it caused and, like, seeing how that is his connection to, like, the dark side of the wizarding world. Like, I'm not saying that it's right the way he treats Creature, but, like, I also think that it's relatively, like understandable that like this man was in Azkaban for a decade and he gets out thinks he might have some freedom and instead is locked in the home that's just pure reminders that his whole family was against everything he believed in oh and there's a house elf here who thinks that the family was correct and not saying that like Sirius was okay to lash out but I think that that's also understandable I like that that's the complexity that it adds to this. Mm-hmm. And we do we we do see him treat like other creatures nicely, mm-hmm. right? He's gets along fine with Buckbeak. He's friends with Kirkshanks. Like it's not like he's totally in this like superiority complex thing, but I think it is just it's such a reminder of his past and you just can't get past it. Um so that's just uh I I kind of liked that aspect of it. And then the other thing I noticed um, is that the put outer has returned mm-hmm. and part of me also kind of wondered if I know that they later on they're like oh it's the illuminator not a put outer 
But Albus in his will is like, call it by its name. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's a put outer, darn it. Um, I liked that it it's this um, cute little device that we see in the very first chapter, and then it isn't mentioned again until now. Mm-hmm. And we're still calling it by the very like, you know, children <laughs> yeah, book the rudimentary name. Like, yeah. So I like that eventually it does get a more proper wizarding name. But I I was wondering it, when I was reading this and I saw it and I laughed and I was like, I wonder what point she saw that and she kind of sighed and she was like, I wish I had given that you know more grown up <laughs> name. How can I retcon that in these books? Not one of her more creative touches in the series. No, put outer. Put outer. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe Dumbledore ginger maybe it was in his will and he's like you know I gotta give that a better name <laughs> I'm, I li- I'm I, better than that I like, like, I, like the, I like what you said before call it by its name <laughs> it's his favorite invention uh, he's just speaking about Moody later on he's like why did he keep calling it the put outer <laughs> anyway uh, on that note anybody have anything else for the spoiler section for chapter 4 no nope Awesome. We will uh, end it here. Again, look for that awesome poll on who's worse, the Percy Arthur blowout or the trio blowout that we have. Uh, Check that out on Spotify. Like, share the podcast. That helps us out a ton. Um, We're doing quite well, so thank you for all people that do check in and listen. We really appreciate it. And we will see you on another loaded chapter next week. That will be a little insane, but uh, we have a lot of good discussions planned, so come join us for that when we tackle Chapter 5, The Order of the Phoenix. Kind of a big chapter, so we'll see you for next week. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.